We would let Kirby preach, wouldn't we? We let Kirby preach. We're going to get in the Word of God. Sorry for the confusion. Normally we do the greeting time between the break, between this, kids' church, but you guys are flexible. You can handle it, right? So everybody is in here that wants big kids' church? That's right. Okay. We're going to get into the Word of God. So if you have a Bible, you want to grab that. Before we jump into the message, I just want to make a plug. I know many of you are active on Facebook, and um, it was suggested to me by someone uh, that I trust. They're like, hey, you know, look for opportunities for people to be talking and communicating outside of Sunday. So made did a simple thing, made a, uh, a group for the Spirit of Christ Church fam, where you can, you know, post your testimonies, favorite recipes. I mean, not maybe. I mean, you know, if they're really good. But really just to talk <laughs> to one another and communicate throughout the, the week. I posted the first, which I thought everybody would be on, but maybe you just didn't know, um, is what are you thankful for? So um, I hate to tell you to get on your phone while I'm preaching, but, you know, for 30 seconds, if you want to get that group group going lively, I would love it. Or if you just want to remember, make a note this week to tap in and communicate, want to hear what's going on with you um, and what the Lord's up to throughout the week. So it's just a simple thing. We're all there, right? I see your faces. I see your families. I love their pictures. You love my pictures. On Facebook, Facebook group, Spirit of Christ Church. I think it says SOCC family discussion or something like that. All right. Enough on the commercial. Um, we are going to be in uh, second week in our series on first love, the book of Song of Songs. Some of you uh, were here last week or ready for that. Some of you who weren't are like, really? I've never heard anyone preach out of the Song of Songs. Hallelujah. Uh, it's a really, really good book. We're not going through it line by line. Um, we will be looking at the themes of the book, and there are different ways to approach the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Again, I don't want to give all the framework this week. If you missed, it's on our website. Go listen to last week. It was really good, uh, if I do say so myself. Um, but first love, and, and the Song of Songs, the way we are looking at it is the story of Jesus and his bride, which is us. And what makes this such a compelling study in the day in which we live is that I believe, I mean, we just went through a whole series on the book of Revelation about the coming of the Son of Man. Well, when Jesus is coming back, the work of the Holy Spirit on the earth will produce a people that God will refer, has referred to whose primary identity is a bride. And at the time when Jesus comes back, it says that the Holy Spirit and the bride will be saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. So leading up to the day of his return, which is all we just studied in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit wants to orchestrate and cultivate in our hearts, corporately and individually, a heart that says, knows, and understands we are his bride. We are the one he will marry. So why read, why study the book of the Song of Songs? It is the story, an allegory of a, the beloved king, the king and his beloved bride. And therefore it is our story as in the inspired word of God between the king and us as his beloved one. Amen? So it's powerful. And I know many of you, when we're in the Revelation series, we're reading through the book of Revelation during the week. I would encourage you to do that because, again, we're not going to go through line by line. Now, again, if this book is unfamiliar to you, though, you have a great teacher. His name's the Holy Spirit. Ask him to help you to understand as you're reading, you know, <laughs> some of the phrases in the book that you don't understand. What does this mean about you and me, Jesus? Just a simple prayer. What is this description? And there are other resources out there. Um, I'll probably put a few on our resource page on our website. They're not there yet. So 
Uh, this series then is on first love. And last week we talked about first love uh, is Jesus. It, it's him. It's not our action. It's his. It's his nature. He is the first love. He loved our first. And our lives now, the journey we are on is the journey of responding in love to the one who loved us first. Amen? And I'm excited already for just how some of you have talked about how this is stirring and awakening or reawakening uh, things that have been in your heart. Um, I believe God is up to something good. So uh, I'm going to pray and we'll jump in. As we come to your word today, Father, we pray that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We pray that the love that's in your heart would touch us afresh, that you would awaken in us love and you would um, cultivate in us a confidence in our identity as your beloved forever, as the bride, that you would prepare us to receive you saying, come Lord Jesus, come, that we would be a people fully in love because we know that we are fully loved. Amen. So again, a little bit of what we talked about last week. This week, our, the, the title of the message is Enjoying God. And I'm actually really glad that the youth class is in here with us because you need to hear this now, that, that God is enjoyable um, and that you were made for God. All of us need to hear that again and again. You were made for God. You were created in the beginning of a time humankind was created with the purpose of knowing and experiencing and relating to God. That's all that existence was before the fall. It was God and man existing on this great piece of artistry that he created. All of creation was the palette of our relationship with God. God never changed his mind. And your reason for living, breathing, and being has never changed either. You were made for God. Your mind was made to think about him. Your emotions were made to feel him. Your body was made to experience God. Your very being was made for him. You need to know that. Uh, and uh, I was remembering, actually, a few years ago, we actually did a conference on enjoying God with Kirk Bennett. Who was here for that? I know that was life-changing for some people. So this isn't new for some of us. We've talked about this. But, um, well, there's probably a lot of reasons for it. You don't hear people talk about enjoying God. That's a tragedy. God is most glorified in us when we're most enjoying him. We want to recapture the simplicity of enjoying God. We, I think we understand, we talk, it's in our language that this is about a relationship. Like, that's what we preach, right? Oh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. We're relating to God, we want to be friends with God, but under what kind of relationship? It's a relationship of enjoying one another. We, he likes us, and we respond by seeing who he is and enjoying him as well. It's not a relationship of us gritting our teeth and trying to be good, and trying to be godly. God enjoys you right now. He likes you right now. And even in your weakness and immaturity, and uh, spoiler alert, that's everyone in the room. We all have weakness. We all have areas of immaturity. We not yet hit the mark, and yet, right where you are today, God loves you, and God enjoys you on the journey. Like, that's so mind-blowing because the way we relate to people, 
is not like that, is it? Not most of the time. If, if someone's doing something we don't like, that's a chip on our shoulder. Well, I'm not really going to enjoy you until you get it right. I want to tell you that may be how you end up relating to people. That is not how God relates to you. While we were yet sinners, he loved you. He died for you. It is uh, enjoying God is our greatest strength in this life and perhaps our greatest weapon against sin and the work of the enemy. This is not a side issue. It is foundational to our life in God. And it's what we long for. The reason we chase so many different things in our lives is because we long to be fully known and enjoyed as we are. We long for it. And so we look for that enjoyment in our entertainments, in our human relationships, in, you know, illicit relationships, in drug use, and all the things people, every human is searching for the reality that is only found unfulfilled in knowing him. And this is the true, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us and make it come alive to us. Um, and it, again, it's, it's not a side issue, it's not a, a new issue. So before we even dive into reading our scripture from the Song of Songs today, I'm going to give you a, an intro of this theme throughout the scripture. I'm just going to hit it quick, okay, if you're ready. Um, because the Holy Spirit wants to awaken it to you, so you don't get like, well, this is this, this little book, it's just a song, and I'm not sure it's, it's, if I can even understand it. This is, this is your song. It's your journey with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit help, is going to help us. You may know the story of King David, um, the one who Jesus came into the line of his kingship. Uh, the greatest king, they would say, one of the greatest that ever lived in history, but one of the godliest, the one who was the one after God's heart, the scripture says. Well, if you've ever read the story or even gone to Sunday school, you know the man was not perfect. He did not get it all right. He made some huge mistakes. Adultery, murder, I mean, there's a lot. He didn't even parent his sons so good, in my opinion. Uh, they had some family issues and yet he was a man after God's own heart he knew something he tapped into something in God that strengthened him even in his great, greatest mistakes to be one of the greatest men of God that stands throughout all the centuries of history King David a man after God's testimony about David isn't our testimony about David God's testimony in Scripture is that's a man after my heart. That's the one whose throne will reign forever. That's the one where my son will sit on that throne. Isn't that crazy? We remember the, the evil he did. God says that's the one after my heart. What did David tap into? Well, in 2 Samuel, even in the wake of some of these grand mistakes, David sings a song, and it's been scribed also into the Psalms. And I'm going to read you that. And it says this key that what David tapped into that, that showed him that no matter what, the goodness of God was for him and that he could enjoy God. 
because he was enjoyed by God. Psalm 18, you may be familiar with this passage. David writing, again, at that very moment in history, coming out of his greatest failures, David penned this song. Psalm 18, verse 19, it'll be up here as well. says, he brought me into a spacious place. Talking about God. God brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me. Another version would say, he delivered me. Why? Because he delighted in me. So when you're in your biggest mess, God doesn't sit there waiting for you to get it right. He's the one that comes and delivers you out of your sin, out of your bondage, not because you're such a wretched sinner and in need of pity, but because he looks at you even in your mess and says, you are the one I love. I will come and rescue you. And then later on, David goes on, knowing that God delighted him in him enough to rescue him when he did not deserve it. Amen, hallelujah, write that down somewhere. David would later say, and enjoin the people of God, including us, delight yourself in the Lord. He delights in you. Delight yourself in the Lord. And I want to read that passage too because as I was going through this this morning, I was like, whoa, that's, that's a word right now. Psalm 37, let's put that up, starting in verse 1, says this. I want you to hear this in context to your life, but maybe even how you're feeling about our current cultural situation says this, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Check verses three and four. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And this is that verse. Take delight in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Enjoy God in the midst of it. And he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you know this is a word for your life? Do not fret. Do not fret about what's going on in the world. How you might feel about our last election season. Don't fret. There, because these things will happen, but don't worry about it. They, like grass, they will soon wither and fade. See, there are things in life, whether it's the grand scheme of life or your own personal situation, where it's very tempting to fret. When this thing happens at work or that person treats you a certain way and it looks like nothing happens in retribution, God, aren't you going to do something about that? God, I can't believe this is happening right now. We fret, we worry, what's going to happen next? And it becomes, what if? What if? What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? What if that? And the Lord says, stop it. Don't fret about the evil going on. That will happen, but it will fade. But there's something that will remain. Me and you and you and me. See, there are things going on in your life and in our world that are completely out of your control. And those are the things we like to fret on. But there are two things, at least, that are in your control. Choices you get to make today and tomorrow and the next day. And you know what they are? You get to choose to trust in the Lord and do good. (laughs) Trust in the Lord and hold a grudge and get mad at it. No. (laughs) Trust in the Lord and do good. 
because he will come through. He will have his way and he will have his day. But more than that, because you could say that, trust in the Lord and do good, but he steps it up again. Make the choice today, regardless of what they're doing, to trust me. But even more than that, take delight in me in it. And this is where it's almost a warfare, right? That I'm going to choose, even though the circumstances don't look good right now, I can still say, God, I love you. God, I enjoy you. God, I trust you and I love you because you love me first and nothing can take your love away. Nothing can turn down the volume of your enjoyment in me. So I choose to delight in you because like the grass, every other thing in my life will one day pass away. And what we will have left is you and me. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because if the desire of your heart is for justice, the desire of your heart is for righteousness, the desire of your heart is for the kingdom of God to come, and all the situations that we've read about, it will come. But if you run out, run out from under the, the umbrella of trusting the Lord, you may not see it. You may not get to experience it. When you stay in God, regardless of the external circumstances, you will get the satisfaction. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. This is the way of the kingdom. It's beautiful. This is a good word right now, isn't it? Selah. One more verse, though, before we look at the Song of Songs. Um, And again, if you've been around, this is not new to you. But it's a great reminder that this theme of God's heart towards us and our delight in him is consistent through his word. And especially through the prophets, Isaiah 62, verse 4, the Lord speaking to his people of Israel, which, hallelujah, we've been grafted in. Um, He says this, No longer will they call you deserted or your name desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. And I always think of Marvin when we say that. And your land, Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you. I always hear him say that because we did a whole series on that. He wrote a book, I think it's on the back shelf, about um, Hezekiah and Hephzibah. It was awesome. Learning to be the delighted of the Lord. And you, this is the thing, God has already decided. This is his posture. I will call you my delight. I will delight in you. You don't have to deserve it because he's already decided. You know those moments in life where you just realize like some coincidence comes along or and you just realize that God sees you? Those moments, you know, or you're in the word and like there's a verse you read that you feel like you never read before, like and it comes alive. Like those moments where it's so present that he is with you. Those are, that's the Holy Spirit breathing God's delight into your heart. And it's meant to be our consistent experience in him. God is revealing his delight to you in those moments. Practically, we delight in God simply by acknowledging his delight in us. God, you love me. God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. You provide for me. Thank you for providing for me. This is who you say I am. This is who you are. 
This is, where, this is how we dwell together. This is how we delight in the Lord. I'm going to give you a four practicals at the end, but I want to look at the scripture real quick um, and unpack it just to give you a menu, really. I'm not going to go super deep on it, but to give you some context as you're reading and as you're seeing your story through the lens of God's delight in us. Song of Songs chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. This is it. This is our scripture for today. Um, we'll put it up here on, on the projector as well as if you want to look it up. Now again, as we look at the Song of Songs interpretationally, we're looking at it as an allegory of God's relationship with us. And so there are two, yea, three characters in it. Um, there's the, the, belo- the lover and the beloved, or the king and the, the Shulamite. Um, so the lover, the king, that's Jesus. The lover or the one who is loved, the bride, the Shulamite, that's us in the story. And then there's a chorus, which is kind of like or the daughters of Jerusalem who kind of narrate the story. So in here, the first verse I'm going to read is the words of the king, and then the uh, and they the interpreters have found this via the pronouns they use in the original languages. And then the last three verses are our response to the Lord. Because last week we talked about his love being better than any other thing. This week we're talking about enjoy, us enjoying God. So Song of Songs chapter two, starting in verse two. As a lily among the brambles, so is my love. Among the young women, that's God talking to us. As a lily among brambles, that's who you are to him. As a beautiful thing among the, the ugly, that's your, his delight to you. And this is our response. I'm going to unpack it, so just stick with. Verse 3. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shade, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Verse four, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Verse five, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples. She said he's like the apple tree, right? For I am sick with love. So I'm gonna unpack all of these pretty quick, all of these symbols, but let me read through three, four, and five one more time. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shade, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. This is speaking of, it's painting a picture, right, of the beloved sitting in the shade of the king in the shade of his, of his tree, of who he is, in, in essence. And, and it's such a beautiful picture of finding rest in our relationship with God. You know, many times we, we struggle because we think we're not good enough for God's love. All of us. This is all of our stories. Like, there's always the whisper in our ear, like, well, I would delight in God if... I would delight in God, but I just know I'm not getting it right yet. Let me tell you the truth. His love for you, as I refer to already, but I will say again and again and again, was never based on your goodness. God's love for you has never, will never be based on your goodness. It's based on his so based on his heart, your worth and value has been settled once and for all. Let me remind you. Let me remind you of the gospel. 
(laughs) The Son of God shed his precious royal blood and laid down his life for your life. And God doesn't overpay. God's economy says your life is so valuable to me that the only way to pay the full price of what you are worth is for my son. If there was any lesser price that could have been paid, God would have paid it. If there was another way to bring full redemption to your soul, God would have done it. But the true match of your worth to God is the most valuable thing in heaven, the Son of God. So when we wrestle with those thoughts, I'm just not worth it, let the face of Jesus look at you and say, that's a lie. You are worth it to me. You are worth the highest price. When your self-worth is under attack, remember the most valuable thing in heaven is what it took to purchase you back from your own sin. You cannot ever say, I'm not worth anything because Jesus, the truth, says otherwise. The word of truth is, you're worth it all. He paid the highest price for you and declared forever how worthy you are to him. And your stock in God will never go down. And it can't go any higher. This was Jesus' great reward that we would understand our worth and value to him. Not based on our works or how well we do to get it off. The the reward to Jesus, honestly, at the end of the day, is that we would, as this poetic song paints the picture, that we would simply accept the great love of God, and be with him. I, I was thinking about this. How, how could we understand this in our terms? I've heard, it's not in my experience yet, um, parenting is an adventure, um, right? But I've, I've heard parents of grown children say, and it, it always catches my interest, and some of you who are in this phase maybe know, the, the greatest reward of a parent's life are those moments in meetings, maybe holiday gatherings where all their grown children are in the house. Just to be present together. It's not about what we're doing, it's just that we're together, right? It's such a rich reward. And I believe that's what Jesus would say to us. I'm not looking for anything. The reward for what I gave for you is just that you would be present with me. Not that you'd be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Let me go work really hard for you. He's like, no, 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 no. I did the work. Would you just sit in the shade of what I provided for you? That would be the reward from my heart, to my heart, that I would gain what I paid for because what I paid for was not your work. I paid for you. I paid to get you with me forever. I didn't pay for you to go do stuff for me. Although we can do stuff in our gratitude, but what Jesus wanted at the end of the day wasn't, well, if I purchase them, then they'll work for me. That's, you know that's nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> if I pay for them, they'll be with me forever. And that was the joy set before him. That was his great joy and longing for us. God thinks you're amazing. Have you ever met someone who just thinks you're like the bee's knees? It's, who doesn't like to be around someone that thinks they're amazing? God thinks you're amazing. Now, the, the thing is, that experience for us many times is like someone who's like, you're so 
awesome. It's because they saw you do something great, they don't actually know you. In the back of your mind, well, if you really knew me, you might not think I was so amazing. But you know the truth about God? He knows you better than you do. And he says, you're amazing. He's not like, it's not like the shoe's going to drop and suddenly he finds out something he didn't know about you. That's impossible. And the greatest desire of our heart is to be fully known and fully enjoyed. It's in him. It's in him. It's in him. It's all in him. And so I was, said I was going to unpack this. This really is coming to the end. I know it doesn't feel like it, but he says, like an, she says, we say to him, like an apple tree among the trees of the woods is my beloved. What does that mean? We got to unpack the symbols, right? The apple tree here in this is just being described as she closes the, that passage that I read saying, refresh me with apples. So the apple tree that he's been described as is defined as that which is refreshing to her. So what refreshes us? It's him. What refreshes our soul and our spirit at the deepest level is one thing. The greatest pleasures available to our human spirit and soul are when we are with God. In unbroken fellowship, simply being with him. And I just want to say this. I'm not against, I love uh, rest, I love vacation, but sometimes what we don't need is another vacation or another adventure, or another high-priced whatever to refresh us, because many times we're longing to be refreshed. Sometimes all you actually need, what you're really longing for, is to be with him. There's there's 5, 10, 15 minutes of undistracted, enjoying God will refresh your soul more than the $2,000, $5,000 trip. I promise doesn't mean don't go on it. Don't expect that to do for you what only God can do. He is the apple tree. He is what refreshes. Says, she says to him, I sat down in the, his shade. Sitting down represents us taking a rest from our own work to be with him. To understand that the work is already done for us to enjoy fellowship. When we stop trying to work to earn his goodness and instead receive it as a gift. And here's the the kicker. When we learn to stop our work and receive his goodness, it fuels us to respond to his goodness. It fuels us to want to work from the right posture. Not knowing that we, not thinking we have to earn something but we get to give a gift of gratitude back to him by, I want to work not for you. I want to work with you. What are you doing? Where are you going? I want to go with you. And that's actually further in the story of the song. We'll just start here, though. This, this is the, the starting point. The right per- paradigm, the right perspective starts right there. I sat down in his shade I love this. Uh, Mike Bickle said this. The, the, the cross is the tree here. And the only tree that can shade us from the scorching heat of our own sin and guilt. We sit down in the shade of what Jesus has accomplished. And we are covered from all of our sin and shame. 
that is our place of resting forever. And it's not based on our spiritual maturity. It's based on our willingness to believe the truth of what he has done and believe the truth of what he said. She goes on to say, I told you we go through this part pretty quick, unpack the symbols, but aren't they powerful? So he's the apple tree. I sat down in his shade, and then it says something different in verse 4. It says, his, he led me in his, to the banqueting table, and his banner over me was love. Now, we don't understand these terms so much, but back in those days, in the military conquest, the armies of battalions would have a banner that goes before them. So symbolically, when it talks about Jesus leading us, and again, I believe it is a warfare to learn to walk in the delight of the Lord. But the banner represents Jesus' leadership. What is she saying about how Jesus leads us? is that his banner over us, his leadership in your life is love. However he directs your path in your own personal journey, in your family journey, in your job journey, Jesus will always lead you in love. And he leads us to grow in love. That is the forefront of what he's always doing in your life. He's leading you to grow in his love and grow in your love for others. That is the primary purpose of how he's leading you. That is his banner over your life. Isn't that good news? See, the wrong paradigm that many have is that God is mostly trying to get, our, get us to get our act together or that he's mostly mad at the world or he's very sad at us in the world. But the truth is, he's, his perfect leadership leads us in love. His primary driving force is his love. And his primary desire in us is love. That we would know his love and love him back. His banner over us is love. The way he's leading you right now, even in the midst of what may be adversity, is growing you in love. That's what Jesus is doing. Other people may be doing other things, but don't fret. Don't fret. Trust in the love of Jesus. And she says, then sustain me with these fruits, for I am lovesick. That's an interesting term. I don't think I made a slide for this one. Um, but the idea of being sick with love, as another version would say, is to be, in a sense, intoxicated with the knowledge of his love for you and intoxicated in the delight we have in him. And intoxicated, lovesick meaning, what happens when you're intoxicated? Fear leaves. The fear of punishment. The fear of shame leaves. What happens when someone gets intoxicated with alcohol is their inhibitions go. And God wants us so lovesick in him that we have no fear in our love. We have no fear in living with him. We have no fear in living for him. In fact, we have no fear in telling the world about him. You know, it's a person who is lovesick for God that won't be stopped in sharing the gospel because they're lovesick. They're intoxicated. They're overtaken. The inhibitions and fears that keep us from the fullness of life and fullness of ministry are removed when we dive wholeheartedly and full force into the shade of his great love for us. It is his the way. 
This is the truth. This is our life transformation. When we see, know, experience, and understand that we are loved. We are loved. And we thank him for it. Will cause us to live from that freedom. That I don't have to perform. I don't have to act right, get right. That when I love God, he will get me right. This is our life transformation. As we are with him in the shade of his finished work, guess what happens? We are changed. Our inner workings change. Our desires change. Our thinking patterns change. Because when we're away from being present to him, we try to work it out on our own. And we buy into wrong mindsets and wrong paradigms. And we're trying to make it happen in our own strength when what we truly need more than anything else is simply him. To understand the work is done. And to look at him and let him transform our mind, transform our hearts, and cultivate his nature on the inside of us. So I told you I'd give you four practicals at the close. Here it is. How does one learn to delight in God and enjoy God? Just practice, practically. How do you do this? What, what David was enjoining us to do. Delight yourself in the Lord. One, find your deepest satisfaction and greatest joy in knowing him. Make it the, your prayer. Jesus, I want to find and experience that you are the deepest satisfaction and the greatest joy in my life. Two, and this may be sound counterintuitive, but I'm going to unpack it. The way you're going to de- learn to delight in God is to say no to ungodliness. That is real. It is important. But why? Well, Jesus is said in Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 9, to be the one with the greatest amount of joy that ever lived. Do you know why? It says because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. It made him the happiest man alive. When we choose to agree with God's ways, say no to sin, we will experience more of his, more joy. We will experience his very nature. His joyfulness will come alive in us when we say no to ungodliness. Because sin really, actually I meant to read this quote. Can you put up the quote by, by John Piper? One of the great sages of our day. I skipped over it in my notes. Um, but it's so powerful. Um, It says, sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied in God. When we're seeking to find the pleasure that we actually can only find in him, we usually walk down the path of sin. So the converse is true. When we choose to agree with God's ways, say no to sin, we will experience and delight in God more. Because his delight in us will become more apparent. Not because he delights in us more, but because the the distraction in our own heart is removed. The false idol in our own heart is removed. So saying no to ungodliness. Three ways to delight and enjoy God in greater measure. Pray, talk to God I mean, and give thanks all the time. This is a great one for the Thanksgiving season. First Thessalonians 5. I always mess up saying Thessalonians. Five. Rejoice Always, verse 16, pray without ceasing 
and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why will this increase your delight in God? Well, when you make a choice to rejoice, but you pray without ceasing means everything that's a burden to you, we have a consistent habit of throwing it back on him. Pray without, talk to him about everything that's going on. Don't carry it. You're not made to carry it. Take your burdens and just give them back. Oh, there comes another. This is for you, Jesus. I trust you. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Don't fret about it. And then give thanks in all circumstances. Why? I believe giving thanks is so powerful because giving thanks will always bring us back to remembering all the good that he has already done and all the good that he's doing already. And it will keep us aware of all the good that he will do. There's such a delight that comes when our posture is always in gratitude to God, like we sang today. God, you have loved me. What do I have to give back? Just a hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done for me. And I would encourage you all the time to thank him, to remember, to thank him. Because the more you're aware of the goodness of God, the more you'll be aware of it as it's moving around you. The more you make yourself aware through thanksgiving, And giving him thanks, the more you'll be aware of how much he's doing that you didn't see before. When our minds get clouded with the things that he's not doing, or we refuse to be in a posture of giving thanks, we miss what he's doing. We will enjoy God when we pause to give thanks because we'll acknowledge how much he's doing. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Here's the thing, you'll never reach the end. Finally, related, number four, set your mind on the goodness of God. Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about that. Hold up. Where was Paul when he penned these beautiful refrigerator magnet words? He was in chains in a prison, guys. Why would he have this piece of advice for the Philippian church? Because he was living it. You know what he said right before this? Rejoice. And again, I tell you, rejoice. How do you do that when you're in chains, Paul? Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about that. Well, Paul, what is commendable? What is noble? What is just? What is pure? What is praiseworthy? Is there any excellence when you're chained up in prison? Do you have Jesus? Do you have his Holy Spirit? Is your soul still saved from death? Would the goodness of God be manifest in the prison? Well, he went on to say the gospel was going forth among the prisoners. But what if Paul was like, oh me, oh my, I'm in chains, life is so bad, I wish I was out of here where I could preach the gospel. I can't rejoice, life is just really hard. Why wonder if the gospel would have gone forth? It's a real otherworldly supernatural experience when even when life is hard, we make a choice to set our mind on the goodness of God. But you don't know my trial. 
You don't know my sickness. I don't. But you know what I know? He's a deliverer. I know he's a healer. You're struggling with sickness? Set your mind on the healer. You're in the midst of a battle? Set your mind on the victor. Set your mind on his victory. And it doesn't even have to be spiritual things. I've heard people talk about this like, oh, well, all that's true and noble and honorable and just and pure, that's Jesus. Well, it is. But that's a really narrow view of Jesus. Because you know what? When you look outside, you're like, oh my gosh, it's gorgeous out there. That's Jesus too. You're like, I'm so grateful for my family. That's Jesus too. That's just, that's pure, that's honorable, that's noble. When righteous legislation makes it in our government and you rejoice in it, that's just, that's honorable, that's noble, that's Jesus. When God's at work in ways that we don't expect, when things are good and we remember what was good, we can remember a testimony. That's remembering what's honorable, just, pure, and good. And I tell you, the more you set your mind on the goodness of God, the greater your delight in him will be. Amen? I. And I believe it will change you from the inside out. It will change your even very demeanor. If you will set your mind on the goodness of God, you'll be amazed how much more joy is alive inside of you. We're made to delight in God. It is our greatest strength, and it is our greatest weapon. Delighting, enjoying God is our greatest strength in living out this life that can be challenging. And it's our greatest weapon against the work of the enemy. You know, your delight in God is also your greatest weapon against sin. Because when you've tasted and seen that he is good, you can remind yourself that nothing else will satisfy. Let's stand together as we respond. Would you come, Meredith, if you don't mind? I just want to take a moment and respond to the Lord as we close. Some of you, you love the Lord. And you've worked really, really hard because you love Him. But I feel like the Lord wants to remind you that he delights in you regardless of what work you do today, regardless of how hard you've sought to work, and that his greatest reward would be that you simply delight yourself in him. He wants to return you to the reality of his love for you. Some of you, you've been wrestling with feeling unworthy. And the Lord says, rest in the shade of my kindness. Let my goodness liberate you from the need to make yourself right. Let's come before him. Jesus, today we thank you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died in our place. Thank you that you paid the price to bring us into the presence of God forever. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Just tell him thank you right now. Just re respond to his goodness right now. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me first. Thank you for loving me at my worst. Thank you for your consistent and constant 
goodness to me. Jesus, we just acknowledge again that your work, your cross, was enough. Your cross was enough always and forever that the work is finished. The work is finished. I am yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine. I just want to take one more moment here. Would you just stay in that posture? And even if, if you're a believer today, I want you to make that your confession, to say out loud, Lord, I am yours. You are mine. But maybe you're here today or listening online and that's not your reality. You haven't responded to the work of Jesus who shed his blood for you. You've stood outside and maybe you've looked and you wondered and you had a belief, but you haven't stepped into the fullness of his work and accepted it as your free gift of eternal life. That's you. Right where you are, you can say yes to Jesus today. You can respond to the work that he did to the cross and you can come today just as you are and sit in the shade of his finished work. You can repent and turn away from ungodliness and time of refreshing will come from the Lord. And I prophesy that to everyone in the, the sound of my voice right now. You may be a believer, you may just be stepping into faith today, that if you will turn away from ungodliness right now, the refreshing you long for is going to come. The refreshing of God will come even in this very instant. And Lord, I ask for every person who you're realigning their heart. God, they're saying yes to you again for the first time or the millionth time. God, that just right now you'd release the breath of the Holy Spirit on them. The time of refreshing, the truth of your word right now would break in on hearts. The truth of your word would break in on souls that have felt dry and distant. Right now, Holy Spirit, come. Breathe the breath of life again in the shade of the cross to receive not by any work of our own but on your work Jesus the presence of God would refresh the presence of God would refresh right now if you know that you you know that you need that just put your hands out receive that right now I receive the refreshing of your spirit and your delight in me right now. I sit in the shade of your work. Nothing more needs to be done. I am yours. You are mine. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God, let that perfect rest now come upon the weary souls in this place. God, that perfect peace come, the knowledge of the Son of God, come and rest upon weary souls. Hallelujah. Refresh, 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 refresh. God, help us to take our greatest delight in you, that you are our portion. Nothing more is needed. Lord, would you break off of us worry, fret, anxiety over things that are outside of our control, God. Lord, today we confess we trust in you. Would you just say that? Lord, we trust you. And we delight in you. Say that. We delight in you. We choose to delight in you and trust in you. You will come through. You will grant the desires. Your kingdom will come. 
Lord, as the grass withers and the flowers fade, everything else will fade. But you, you will remain. And you will always be to us, God, more than enough. 